We are in the book of Romans. For those of you that are visiting, we've been studying through this great book, and we've come to what I consider to be one of the tougher places in Scripture to study. And I'll share with you in a moment exactly why. We've been in the first 11 chapters, uh, talked about our salvation. Actually, chapters 1 through 8 specifically. And Paul made mention, let me read to you what he made mention in the third chapter, just to kind of succinctly bring into the very fact that he has been talking about us, about our marvelous um, uh, details of what it means to be saved. And he he put it pretty succinctly in chapter 3, verses 21 to 24. He says, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifest. That means has been displayed, showed to us being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Then he says, verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There is no distinction. In other words, God has his arms open wide for every single person. There is absolutely no distinction. And why does he have his arms open wide without distinction? Because he says in the next verse, All of us have sinned, and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, he says it in the next verse, Paul writes, we have been justified as a gift, as a gift by God's grace, His unmerited favor through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. What a great, great place in Scripture. So consequently, what Paul has taught us in the first 11 chapters, then we jumped into chapter 12. We're right now in chapter 13, for those of you that are visiting. So we jumped into chapter 12, and in chapter 12, because of this miracle of salvation, it therefore impacts every single one of us who have ever trusted in Christ. It impacts every facet of our lives, first and foremost. In chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we have been told our new life in Christ impacts our responsibility. Initially, our responsibility should be to present, that's what it says in verse 1 of chapter 12, present our bodies to the Lord as a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to Him, which is our spiritual service of worship. So, First and foremost, we found out we are to give of ourselves unto the Lord. We are to to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord. Next, in the 12th chapter, starting with verse 3 to verse 16, our next concern, Paul's next concern for us, is our relationship within the four walls of the church. And we studied about that. We studied how our relationship should be with one another here in the church. We should love one another. We should honor one another. And we should gather together to serve with one another, our Lord, together. Once we understand what happens within our church, the next thing Paul spoke of in chapters, chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, is our relationship with people outside the body of Christ. He says, as far as it depends upon you and me, we should be at peace with all people. As a matter of fact, he says, we should be at peace even with those who persecute us. We should bless them and curse them not, those that persecute us. 
So that was tough enough. And I told you about the experience I had of, of going through an experience in my life of someone that hurt my wife and myself very deeply and how it took over two years for me to finally get to a place where I could ask the Lord to bless, bless him. If you remember, I said at first, I just went by faith. I said, Lord, bless him. But I really wanted the Lord to kill him. Just kill him. <laughs> and I would ask the Lord to bless him. And I told the Lord honestly, Lord, you know I'm, I'm praying this by faith. I don't mean what I'm saying. I really don't want you to bless him because he has hurt me. And some two years later, I don't remember exactly the date. I know it was two years plus. All of a sudden, I was driving home, and as I mentioned last week, it was, it was like the Lord would bring His person, His face, His, his name, everything to my mind on the way home, and, and I, would, uh, I, would, I would think about it, and all of a sudden, I realized I hadn't really bothered by Him at all. And I was able to ask the Lord to bless Him and mean it. It was one of the great breakthroughs in my life as a Christian man. To honestly want God to bless someone who had hurt us. That was a great breakthrough. Now we come to chapter 13. Why is chapter 13 harder for me? Because I've not broken through this quite yet. And it talks about our government. How we are to have a right relationship with those who govern over us. And this is a very, very, for me difficult place because just because it is uh, it's, it's it's let me read it with you please read with me chapter 13 verses 1 through 7 let me tell you this going in verses 1 to 5 talks about our relationship with those people who are are governing over us verses 6 and 7 tell us about how we because we are to honor those who are over us governing us we are to pay taxes. <laughs> so it's talking about how we are to honor people who govern over us and how we are to pay taxes to the government. Now, let me read it with you, please. Follow with me. It's pretty interesting. It says in chapter 13, verse 1, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. Paul goes on to write, there is no authority except from God. And those which ex exist are established by God. Therefore, the person who resists authority has opposed the ordinances of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers, verse 3, are not a cause for fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Wherefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Now it talks about our taxes. Verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. 
Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom tax is due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. And honor to whom honor. Now, I want to promise you that, that at least for me, this has come to make sense. It is it has really given me a peace to study this place in Scripture because it, it is hard for me. I, I, I don't get into political things. I don't, I don't even care if you know what I am politically. That's not an issue. But for me to, to try to understand what, what our political people do with, with our society boggles my mind. And, and I wonder, how, how in the world... Do I honor them? And, and, and it, it, it's all making sense to me now. And I pray it will to you as well. I will try with all of my heart, by the, by the grace of God, to explain this the best way I know how. So let's pray first. We've read the scriptures. Let's ask the Lord God to bless us and to make sense of a very practical, practical place in your life, in my life, as a believer in Jesus Christ. And for those of you who are here who are investigating about our faith, hopefully this will give you some peace about how we act and react as believers in Jesus Christ towards those that govern over us. Let's pray. Father, please, would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law. The words that Paul wrote down under your inspiration so that we might understand How do we act with governing authorities who are over us? How are we to be subject to them? And we are to understand that that these people don't just happen. They have gotten their authority because of you. They exist and are established by you. That's important for us to comprehend, to understand. And so, Lord, please, would you move me out of the way so that I do not... Um, impose upon any of this my will or my thoughts or, or what I desire. No, Father, let us hear from, from your heart. Teach me as you teach all of us. Help us to understand what it, what it means to be a, a good, good citizen and, more importantly, a good believer, a good follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Father, thank you for this time. We ask that you'll bless us. Thank you for Anthony and, 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 and Ryan and the leading of uh, the 180 group in our music and how, how blessed we are, as Wayne reminded me in the back. Thank you, Father, for the good things that you have given to this, this church. I thank you for it all in Jesus' precious, precious name. Amen. We're going to look at verse 1, <clears throat> and then we're going to encapsulate it all through verses 1 and 5, and then we'll look at verses 6 and 7. But basically, if you and I get a grasp of verse 1, we will understand what God has for us as believers in Jesus Christ and followers of those who lead us in this world in which we live. It says in verse 1, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. The basic command is simple and succinct. In the broadest sense, every person applies, of course, to every human being on the face of this earth. The principle stated here reflects God's universal plan for mankind. But, never forget, Paul is basically, 
in Rome speaking specifically to Christians. And so he is declaring that Christianity and good citizenship ought to go hand in hand. He is going to continue to explain that we are to be in subjection to the governing authorities, and that includes much more than simply obeying our civic laws. It also includes that we are to honor and to respect the government officials as God calls them, in verse 1, His agents for maintaining order and justice. (laughs) I feel that's a tough pill to swallow. I do. I learned a lot from the word be from the three words be in subjection. It is a Greek word. It is H U P O T A S S O. It simply is a military term. What it simply means is that a soldier is to salute the uniform. If someone is in authority over them and they're wearing a uniform that is over them, Regardless of what they think of the person wearing the uniform, they're to salute the uniform. And so what Paul is saying is regardless of what you might and I might think of those who are leading us in our government, we are to give them respect because of their position, regardless of what we think of them. Paul gives absolutely no qualification or conditions Every single authority is to be submitted by us willingly. We as Christians are called to obey every law, every person, just or unjust. Now, before you attack me, there is one caveat that is critical to understand. That caveat is... We are not to accept or follow any law that would make us cease to follow and worship our Lord and Savior, nor are we to follow any law that asks us to disobey the Word of God. Make note of that. That is critical to understand. Peter gives us this instruction in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. Listen. He says, it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer from doing what is right, rather than suffering for doing what is wrong. He goes on to say in that that book, 1 Peter, this time the fourth chapter, he says in verses 15 and 16, Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers, Peter says, as a believer, as a Christian, he says, don't be ashamed. Suffer as to glorify God in his name. Let me give you for instance. Love these stories. In the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 1, Pharaoh asked the Jewish midwives to kill every Male baby that was born under their care. Every midwife, every Jewish midwife was asked to kill every baby born, male baby, born under their care. 
Here's what the Jewish midwives said in Exodus chapter 1, verse 17. It says, They feared God more than they did the king of Egypt. And they let the boys live. They did not follow the government's wishes. Favorite story of mine. One of my favorite stories. It's in the book of uh, Daniel, the third chapter. It is, you know the guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They They were told by some of the king's men that they would not worship their the king's gods, plural, nor did they fall down and worship his golden image. He brought them into his chambers, and obviously it had to be this huge place because they had this huge furnace that was burning at one end of the chamber. And they said, he said, King Nebuchadnezzar said to them, if you do not bow down and worship my gods, and worship the golden image that I have made of myself, I'm going to throw you into that burning fire. Remember the story? You've, you've got to read it. It's in Daniel 3. If you've, if you've not read it, take a look at it. Because these three guys are just heroes. Listen to what they say. I wrote it down. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16, 17, and 18. After King Nebuchadnezzar said, You are to bow down, And worship my gods and my golden image, or I'm going to throw you into that furnace of fire. They answered and said, O King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer considering this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hands, O King. This is one of the. This is one of the greatest statements in all of Scripture right here, what they say next. But if and even if he doesn't, I love that. Have you ever, you know, everyone tells you, you know, with enough faith, you should never doubt. Well, that's a bunch of baloney. When you really, can you even imagine, can you even imagine standing before this furnace? And this guy is enraged and says, unless you bow down and worship me, I'm throwing you in the fire. I would probably think, I'll bow down, but not in my heart, (laughs) but not in my heart. I would try to finagle my way out of this. These three guys said, we will not do it, King. Our God is able to deliver us from your fire. And even if he doesn't, they said, let it be known to you that we are not going to serve your gods. We're not going to worship your golden image. These guys are just, these guys are my heroes. I love them so much. You remember the story? He got so enraged by what they said. He said, burn more wood, more fire, make it hotter. And the guy that was making it hotter got so hot that he got, in, he got engulfed and, and died from the, just putting the wood or whatever he put in there to make it hotter. And they threw him in and what did they do? The king stood back and he looked. He said, did we not throw three guys in there? How come there's four of them walking around? Wouldn't you have wanted done that? That's a great story. You might want to read it. Just read it slowly and just enjoy it. It's just, it's just amazing. Well, that's the Old Testament. Jewish midwives, 
they would not kill the boys just because they were ordered to by Pharaoh. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they would not bow down before the king, even though it was an order, a government order. In the New Testament, the Jewish religious leaders of the day warned both John and Peter. They said, this is in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. They said, we, we order you not to speak nor to teach in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter and John replied to them and said, whether it is right in the sight of God to give you heed rather than God, you be the judge. But we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and what we have heard. And then they say in the fifth chapter of Acts, we must obey God rather than you. Actually, it says men, but they meant them. And so you see, we are to be respectful, respectful to our government, but we must speak out against sin. We must speak out against injustice, immorality, and against ungodliness with fearless dedication. But we must do it in the framework of civil law, and we must do it with respect for civil authorities. You see, we are to live peaceably. Why? We are told over and over again, you, are, you and I are to live to show our transformed lives to all who we come in contact with. So that perhaps through the saving power of God, we may affect somebody to come to Christ. That's our call in life. Now you might say, well, you know, PJ, that Pastor John, that's, 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 you're a pastor. That's easy for you. No, I, I am a pastor. Yeah, I give you that. But not when I go, when I walk out of here, I'm just, I'm just a, hopefully a kindly old man that kind of bumps into people from time to time. You know, when I go to the market, uh, whenever I go through the line, I always try to ask the, the people that are checking us out, how are you doing today? You know, every once in a while you get that look like, How's this? You know, if they're so busy, people are just going. And you just stop for a minute and say, how are you doing? i never forget, as long as I live. Uh, this, this involves Doc Stroman uh, uh, on the tail end of it. I was going to a, a heart doctor because my heart went bad. My heart, uh, uh, AFib doc, what I have? What I, AFib, whatever it was. I, it was. It just stopped beating regularly. No big deal. It was still fine. My heart was fine. But to appease my family, my wife and, the, and everybody, I, I went to the doctors. I went to a guy, uh, I can't even tell you his name. His name is Dr. Shoup. I went to him, and, and he was, uh, he, he had no, no, no relationship with God as, as far as I could tell from him. He, had, he was a nice, nice guy, but he had absolutely no, no desire for anything of God. He didn't know what I did. He didn't know who, what I, nothing about me. He just knew that I had a bad heart, and he was trying to solve it. And I found out from him that his father wasn't well. His father was dying of cancer. He just briefly told me that. So I wrote that down in my book. The next time I went to see him, I, I walked in, and he, kinda, he came in, and he was real busy. And I, before he could ask me how my heart was doing, if I was, what it felt like, I said, how, you know, I've been thinking about it, and I've been praying for your father since uh, the last time I came in here. How's he doing? And with that, with that, folks, he sat down in his chair, and he started to weep, openly weep. 
And I said, I'm so sorry. Is he alive? Is he okay? He's very sick, he said. I said, can we pray for him? Can I pray with you for your your dad? With that, he kind of stood up, collected his thoughts, walked out of the room and came back in about three minutes and it was business as usual. Nothing, no tears, no nothing. Didn't talk about his dad, didn't do anything but check my heart, got me out of there and I was gone. Listen, I, I don't know that he that he came to trust in our Savior, but it didn't take a preacher to go in there and to be care care for his dad at all or care for him at all. It just is a way of life, just to to be light in our community, and that's what God is asking from you or me. We are to be a light to the people we come in contact with, and I will never forget that. And then by the grace of God, I got to meet Doctor. Dr. Stroman, and he helped me more than anybody I've ever, any doctor I've ever known, ever, ever. Um, and I don't see doctors, the other doctor anymore at all because I didn't have to. Doc took care of me. You and I have been called to be the conscience of our Lord. We have been called to be faithful to preach the gospel to people we come in contact with somehow, some way, through our lives. We are to confront this world not with political pressure of man's wisdom, but we are to confront this world with the spiritual power of God that lives within us. That's what we're to be. Now, and, and nothing wrong with this, but, but many people believe that Christians should become active in political causes. We should rely on on social action to change laws and to change our government policies. And, and, and many want to join in the system all along trying to protect and change laws that are encroaching our religious rights. And in so doing, some evangelicals have joined forces with individuals and organizations that are unchristian, that are, are heretical, even cultic, in trying and hoping to make changes And the reason is that sometimes it's permissible to join forces with one evil in order to combat what is considered to be a greater evil. To be very honest with you, this was was the issue I had when Hutch, when I told you before, Hutch asked me to join forces with him, with Glenn Beck, to try to get as many conservative Christians across this land, especially pastors, to to make a, a movement for Christ. I mean, I was all for that, but I told Hutch I I couldn't do it. I I wasn't called to that. My call is clear, I told Hutch. I'm called to be a pastor of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a local body of believers. I'm I'm not called to go everywhere and and do everything. And and, and my call is to to hold steady and hold faithful to the preaching of the Word of God, which he came back and said to me on the phone, that's exactly why I want you to join with me. I want you to hold our feet to the fire so that we do not get off course. And I, I think, I told him, that's quite an honor, Hutch. I said, but the fact of the matter is, I will help, but I will not join in. My call is to be a pastor of a local body of believers who want to hear the gospel and want to grow in their faith. You see, if we're not careful, oftentimes the Bible can get all wrapped up in the flag and and different causes, and the focus becomes shifted from the call to build the kingdom of God in an effort to moralize our culture, 
trying to change society from the outside rather than individuals from the inside. That's our call, as I see it. And some Christians expect our government to be our ally. That ain't never going to happen. That's never going to happen. And I'll tell you why. It's because government is temporal. It's not what we are. We're eternal beings. Our call is consistent. We are to be the same yesterday as we are today as we will be tomorrow. Our purpose never changes. Government changes from one political group to another. And they're all trying to sell us on how they're going to change things. And what, what do we see? We, we don't see great changes. We see temporal things. I got this out of a commentary from John MacArthur. I absolutely loved it. He says, does it really matter? Does it really matter that people go to hell as a policeman or a prostitute? Does it really matter whether they go to hell as a judge or a criminal or a pro-life or a pro-abortion person? No, he says, our task is to proclaim the gospel and change hearts. He goes on to say, neglecting this is the spiritual equivalent of a skilled heart surgeon abandoning his profession to become a makeup artist, spending his time making people look better rather than saving lives. When I wrote that down, Doc, I thought about you 100%. thought about you and how many lives you've, you've helped, how many people you've taken care of, never varied from your call. The mission of the church is not to change society. The mission of the church, by the way, although it is a byproduct, changing society is a byproduct of, faithful, of a life faithfully lived, but our true mission is to worship and to serve the Lord our God. And that is God's plan in bringing others to saving faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's our call. Peter, listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, you are chosen race. You are royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people for God's own possession. Why? Why, Peter, are we all of that? So, he says, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our call. Jesus Christ made absolutely no call for a political or social reform. To my understanding, he never attempted to change the culture. On the contrary, he declared when they asked him, what are we to do with Caesar and what he asks us to do? Remember? And he said, uh, who of you has a coin? And they showed him a coin and he says, whose picture is on that coin? And who did they say his picture was on that coin? Caesar's. And you know what he said to them? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. That's our call. We are to render to the government the things that are the government and we are to render to God the things that are God. Changing the government or moralizing our government was not Jesus' goal. He told us his goal in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He said, the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, has come to this earth. Why? To seek and to save those who are 
what? Lost. I've come, he says, to seek and to save those who are lost. That's his call. Our responsibility to our society and to government in particular is to seek and to save people who are lost individual by individual by individual. We are to remain, it says in 1 Peter 2, aliens and strangers on this earth. They don't get us. I understand that. Before I became a Christian, before I came to Christ, it was hard for me to understand a believer in Jesus Christ. We are to be aliens and strangers on this world. And in John chapter 17, we are told we are to live in the world, but we are not to be a part of the world. Our call is much deeper than changing government. We're to honor them. We're to respect them. And we're to give to our government what is our government's, and we are to give to God what is His. That's our first call, giving to God. So Paul, now let's look back at at chapter 13 for just a quick moment, because we're going to kind of wrap this all up right now. Paul gives us seven reasons in verses 1 through 5 as to why we are to submit to the human government that we are under. Verse 1, last part of it. The government is here by divine decree. God gave it to us. Verse 2, the first part of it. So to resist the government is to rebel against the institution of God. Shouldn't do that. Last part of verse 2. Those who resist will be punished. Verse 3, first part. Government serves to restrain evil. That's where I had a problem with it. I, I, that's my problem. I see our government some places. I think about, you know, because we live in this small world now, you can, you can see all over the world. We can see what's going on in Russia and, and all of those places just by watching the Olympics. And, and we can see the, how, they, they, how some nations stand, do the most despicable of things. Do some governments serve to restrain evil? No, they're evil in and, in and of themselves. Verse 3 and 4, government serves to promote good. Verse 4, the last part, government is empowered by God to inflict punishment for those who are disobedient. And verse 5, government should be obeyed for the sake of your and my conscience. So our conscience is clear. So Paul presents two basic theories, principles about government. Number one, we are to... Submit to all government as far as it comes to not disobeying God. And secondly, we are to pay our taxes. Those two commands summarize our civic duty in fulfilling what God says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is his. And so in verse 6, Because we are to be subject to our government, he says, because of this, verse 6, pay taxes. Rulers are servants of God. They devote themselves to this very thing. Render to all, verse 7, what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due, custom to custom, fear to fear, and honor to whom you should honor. Dr. J. Vernon McGee wrote, man, I resent paying my taxes. (laughs) I loved him for that. He says the way our taxes are being used 
But he says, I pay my taxes anyways. With fear and with honor of those who collect my hard-earned money. That's our call. That's our call. But never forget, God's call for you is to become conformed into the image of His Son. His Son came to this earth to seek and to save those who are lost. We're to follow His commands. We're to render to Caesar or our government what is our government's. But we are more importantly to render to God the things that are His, our God's. And so when push comes to shove, follow our God. thought about this many times. If someone came in here and someone of the government came in here and said, Stop this service. I, I don't want you ever to preach Jesus Christ again or we're going to throw you in jail. And if they came here next week, they'd have to throw me in jail. I'm not going to stop preaching Jesus Christ no matter what they ask me to do. And then I go to jail and maybe by the grace of God I can become like Paul and lead people in jail to Christ. That's my call in life. I've already thought it through. I will do it with honor and respect. But I'd like to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'd love to be that tough. I love the way they told King. King, whatever you say, but our God will be able to deliver us. I love that. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this is very practical stuff. How do we deal with our government? How do we deal with the society in which we live? And you tell us clearly we're to honor and we're to respect those that, that are over us. But you also tell us that we are to render to them the things that are theirs. But more importantly, you tell us to render to God the things that are his. And so, Father, we, we in faith pray for our president. We pray that you'll bless him, help to guide him to lead this country and those who are under him, senators and congresspeople, and uh, help them to run this country wisely, Father. And for those that are over us here in California, dear God, please help, uh, help them to lead us wisely as well, Father, please. Let us, um, let us be faithful to share the gospel and to pray for them. Father, I pray that you'll bring someone into their lives, all of them, from the president on down, who would be faithful to share the gospel so that they might come to trust and believe in you. Now, Father, care for us as we go from here. Wherever it is you might take us, bless us, Father. Thank you so, so much for the privilege of worshiping you today. In Jesus' precious name, amen.